Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I caught up with Wallen Wallaceai from 3Data and we spoke about virtual reality headsets and how their company is changing the way we approach working in a SOC. I did challenge Wallen on if this is exactly what we need in our space or if it's just another shiny new toy and he handled the questions like an absolute champion. We talked about the behavior around implementing VR into everyday tasks for an employee, as well as the cost reduction associated from a SOC point of view. Wallen also talked about how data can be displayed differently using VR, which provides better insights. If you're keen to learn more about virtual reality for your organization, then this episode is for you, so please keep listening. Wallen, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a long time coming, and I and I say this a lot actually with people that I interview, but it, it's because I, I do want to interview so many people because they do so many so many incredible things, and I'm really excited to have you here today to talk a little bit about you, your experience, and also what you're doing with your company Three Data. So before we jump into that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So sure. can you please talk our listeners through where you started to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think first and foremost, thanks for inviting me on here. You know, I'm a big fan of, of, of you and the podcast, so definitely excited to be on uh, this podcast. Uh, starting kind of my journey in, in big big data and security uh, was very untraditional. Uh, started about five years ago, and I just got done working in New York with Nike as a uh, analyst on their uh, wearable team. Uh, I got back to my hometown in Milwaukee after kind of wrapping up that job and trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And uh, one of my good friends heard I was home and gave me a call and said, I have this new Oculus VR headset, you know, back in 2015, uh, which a lot of people, again, weren't very familiar with. And he told me to come check it out. Uh, So as soon as I kind of got back to uh, home and, and, and went over to his office to check it out, I was absolutely blown away by the technology of VR. Uh, and the premise of just being able to experience things without truly having to be there physically. Uh, mm-hmm. But connecting people with, you know, information and data was, was really what I was doing at Nike. Uh, so it became kind of an obsession for me. And I used my skill set and data analytics and wearable technology uh, to start in this company in my grandmother's garage in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right? Uh, a lot of people thought I was absolutely nuts, talking about kind of <laughs> virtual worlds and, and, and time travel, right? Uh, but VR wasn't very common back then. So we put out a quick demo, got a lot of attention from Fortune 500 companies, and things kind of took off from there. About uh, 48 months later, you know, now we have customers in, in DOD and large enterprise, and we're a venture-backed startup company. So it's, it's been a, a wild journey to get to kind of where I am now and uh, really excited for where this is going to take us. So when you talk about people thought you were crazy, why do you think that is? Is it because... Generally, when things come out new in technology, everyone's like, it's not going to last, it's not going to survive. Is mm-hmm. that sort of people's sort of um, MO in terms of their, their fallback because it's, it's a new thing and they're not sure what to expect? Absolutely. I think it was very similar to trying to communicate what a TV was, right, before people have seen uh, colored TVs or even black and white TVs. It, it sounds like it's kind of like, you know, there are people in this TV that will be talking to you and you can change you know, the people inside of this box 
to yeah. you know look at information. It's it's very similar, right? If you've never seen it, it's very hard to explain completely immersing somebody in a virtual world. Uh, so I eventually had to you know bring my parents over to my grandmother's house to say this is what I'm doing, and then they kind of got why I was you know so obsessed with it. But it was, uh, it was it's tough to communicate the power of it if people haven't tried it, and I think that's a, a larger part of the barrier to entry is how do you communicate something that you know you really have to visualize and see in order to understand and when you said you started uh, demoing this with fortune 500 companies what was sort of their adoption to it was it because it was new um new sort of toy that they hadn't really seen before and they wanted a piece of it or what was sort of their um take towards it that's a great question. It was a little bit of both. Uh, we got, you know, kind of scurried into the innovation teams. Um, you know, one thing I've learned is sometimes innovation teams are the places where startups go to die. Um, and it's, oh, it's tough to tie that to, <laughs> in, in, in all transparency, it's tough to kind of tie that to a, a business use case, right? When they're just trying to build innovation, no matter what that innovation is. Uh, but I think quickly people start to realize, you know, after being able to see the technology grow and, and, and make strides from, uh, and not only like an ergonomic standpoint, but a software standpoint, uh, that this is a real technology that's going to be, you know, here to stay. Uh, the fad kind of wore off and, and people started to develop real, real tools, you know, whether it's training or productivity. Uh, there's a massive uh, benefit from being able to adopt this technology and, and doing it earlier than, you know, the, your, your competition. Um, and that's kind of how we've been able to survive working with POD and large enterprises. They're committed to the future, and it really takes that commitment to be able to be successful. When you say real tech here to stay, why do you sort of think that is? Is it because, and maybe we'll sort of get into this a little bit later in the interview, mm -hmm. do you think it's because maybe even the pandemic last year could have been the catalyst to people working from wherever and then, you know, plugging in the VR headset to sort of do their job from wherever? Do you think that sort mm -hmm. of helped with the adoption to this, or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think COVID-19 expedited uh, remote work, in, you know, in a way that no one expected. Uh, having to go from you know, kind of physical real estate and offices to mm. now everyone's working remotely from, you know, wherever their house is. Um, mm. it, it changed the way that you kind of think about space and, 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 and you know, productivity. Um, and it opened up new avenues to getting a lot more creative rather than the tools of, of, of today. You know, there's nothing wrong with Skype or, 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 or Zoom or, you know, any of the alternatives, WebEx. Um, but you're looking at tools that were uh, developed pre-pandemic, right? Mm. They were, they've been around for, you know, almost a decade before people are, are, are now having to use them every day. Mm -hmm. They weren't built for the pandemic. Um, so the opportunity to now innovate with remote work being the new norm is really exciting for us and, and opens up a brand new uh, avenue for people who are now looking for more interactive and interesting ways to uh, engage with their coworkers, their customers, um, and VR is, is, is becoming more and more relevant. So on that note, let's jump into a little bit more about what you do day to day with 3Data. Now, uh, for people who don't know, these guys are backed by Mark Cuban. And as we all know that, you know, whatever Mark Cuban backs usually is a, uh, is a winner. <laughs> and um, I mean, that was, um, it was mentioned in that recent Forbes article, I think you did send me. But talk to me about what you guys do specifically for our listeners. Now, I mean, I look at a lot of technology startups across mm -hmm. the globe. I haven't seen what you guys do. Um, really anywhere. So I think that's probably why uh, Mark Cuban has invested in this quite early, you know, early adopter, gets 
sit uh, is a mover and shaker in that space. So really keen um, for you to sort of elaborate on what you guys do, because mm-hmm. I'm assuming that our listeners would be really um, excited to hear exactly what it is that you do. Yeah, I, I, and I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I think, you know, more more than, uh, you know, we, we kind of expected. It's been awesome working with Mark Cuban companies, and, and, and it's been really uh, great to be able to be backed by someone of his stature, uh, helping his portfolio companies, and he's, he's really, you know, invested in it, which is awesome. Uh, but when it comes to 3Data and kind of what we, we do, we built out uh, what we're calling a smart collaboration platform, and it combines your video conferencing, real-time data feeds, and file sharing all into a, a, a unified space. Um, what you can start to think about now is, you know, imagine having your all, all, pretty much access to all of your business in a, a, a virtual room, uh, being able to quickly bring up any sort of, of information uh, collaboratively. And that's where we started to gain a lot of traction was being one of the first companies to do that in, in not only a 2D space, but a 3D space. So we work on you know, all major immersive headsets, whether that's uh, VR headsets or augmented reality headsets, uh, which are becoming more popular. Um, we were one of the first companies to really build that uh, on the cloud. Uh, so you can access it from anywhere. You can deploy it, you know, anywhere. Uh, you can deploy it behind your own firewall uh, and then stream information into this, this collaborative uh, space in real time. And that's really kind of where we, we start to, to, again, gain traction. But for a lot of these, these, these companies who are running global businesses, uh, you know, they don't really have a, a great way of handling uh, IR sometimes. You know, imagine that you're somewhere across the country and your business has been hacked. You know, what is typically the first thing you do as either a CIO or a CEO? It's get to, you know, the, the fusion room or, or the, uh, the intelligence room uh, on site. You know, COVID changed that forever. Uh, but trying to understand how many people are affected, who needs to know, what's the damage, you know, where did this happen? There's a lot of different variables that come into a scenario like that. So being able to communicate that information in real time remotely can save companies millions of dollars uh, if they're able to do it quickly. What sort of info? And do you sort of have any use cases around that? or? Yeah, a lot of uh, the use cases that we've uh, been able to identify is anything to do with cloud monitoring, uh, network operations, security operations. Uh, when you're looking at tons and tons of digital information, think terabytes of information, right? How do you, how do you break down those silos and aggregate the insight? Uh, instead of having to dig through logs and logs of, of, of information uh, and, and, and silo dashboards, you know, what if you could unify all of that data into one space uh, and then use tools like advanced visualizations or artificial intelligence to just surface that insight uh, while you're trying to make decisions? Uh, we take out a lot of complexity when it comes to a lot of the the, the massive amount of, of, of digital information that people are trying to digest and analyze, mm-hmm. uh, and just really deliver that 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 insight, you know, and, and and being able to do it in real time is is kind of the, the you know the magic under the hood. Yeah, that's interesting because I was a reporting analyst back in the day, and I mean yeah. I was going around the security um, division in the bank and collecting all the information, you know, from the guys in the sock or whoever, and pulling mm-hmm. it together. But I had to use a PowerPoint, right? So <laughs> that's um, it was hard to communicate like the importance of cybersecurity, and admittedly, like we were using certain tooling to be able to help us with that. Like we eventually built like live dashboards and like Tableau and stuff like that. But I mean, for what you guys are doing, I think as you sort of touched on, it's really hard to display things in a way that people a get, but then they're sort of not just lost in all of the data. 
Like it exactly. makes sense. And just reporting for reporting uh, purposes is kind of redundant and you need to be able to justify like the insights derived from that from that data, right? Exactly. And and you hit the nail on the head. It's it's having to go to multiple sources of either teams or people or information. Uh, to be able to aggregate all the all the data to get the I guess the ability to make the, the most intelligent decision, you know that should be a, a process that it, it not fully automated, but it, it should be a, a pretty much an automated process so that you can start to just see information in context, right? Either as it comes in or mm-hmm. be able to surface it uh, based on time series, because the two things that people you know are always uh, are kind of attached to are where and, and and when, right? The why is why you're there. To, to, to figure that out. But if I could, I could quickly, you know, contextualize things of where and when in a, a, a visual manner, um, mm-hmm. then you can start to dig into more of the forensics of, of why this happened. And that's really the, 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 the nuance, you know, when it comes to a lot of the, the, the data visualization and analytics is taking a lot of those, those uh, uh, kind of givens when it comes to the data that you're having to go and find and uh, just focusing on the insight, you know, why did this happen and, and, and correlating that across these, these different silos. Now that's really interesting because I think also what, what I'm hearing here is efficiency because even in my own experience, every month I'd have to collate these reports and because everyone's, you know, we were reporting on phishing and vulnerability mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and whatever it was, there was, I mean, there was like 10 different things or, or plus. So I had to go physically around to each of these teams and be like, oh, do you have your reporting numbers? And it was like, no, because I'm flat out because there's been an incident, yeah. like you're you're frustrating me and they know when I'd start walking around the floor that they that I was hitting them up for their, <laughs> their insights. And I couldn't sure. get it because I didn't have access to the systems they were using, obviously for, um, you know, privacy reasons. And I, I, I was only doing a, an analyst role. Um, but for me, it became heavily inefficient because I'd spend most of my day following people up and getting <laughs> almost frustrated because I needed that information um, to be able to report back um, to the to the executives around how our security posture w- was sitting in the bank and what are the things we needed to do. So I think even from an influential point of view, displaying that in a way that makes sense to people outside of tech security mm-hmm. is going to make it a hell of a lot more appealing. And, and I'd say expedite the process of them handing over money to be like, okay, Cool. The way the way in which you guys have demonstrated um, the importance of X, Y, Z makes sense. Here's some money. Go do your thing. Exactly. And 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 it's really interesting. You know, the common thread throughout all the uh, different narratives that we've been able to to find with the the value proposition is communication, right? Because at the end of the day, it really boils down to how are you communicating all of this complex information, either to key stakeholders, to your superiors, or to your colleagues. In, in the most efficient manner possible and doing it in a, a way that's contextual and easy to do immediately uh, draws that emotional connection to what you're trying to communicate because we all understand things in, in 3D, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Humans operate in, in three-dimensional uh, you know, manner all the time. So being able to give people something that they can see and understand that jumps out at them when it comes to, hey, this is why we need it. Um, there's a massive benefit to being able to do that uh, in an expedited manner, like you said. So in your experience, how are people communicating currently what they're doing? I mean, I've just spoken about my experience. That was going back, I don't know, 20, 14, 15 days. So it was quite a while ago. But what are you sort of seeing today? Like how are people communicating the value of security? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I think even pre-COVID, it wasn't too dissimilar from what you just explained. It's a PowerPoint, right? And you're stuffing all of this information into 
slides and trying to communicate how important it is uh, through graphs and charts that are extremely complex. Um, it's really hard to gain you know, any sort of traction with key stakeholders if they're not able to, to fully uh, kind of comprehend what you're communicating to them, regardless of, of, of you know, the visualizations that you're able to stick into a PowerPoint. Uh, but there's now an additional kind of layer of complexity that everyone's remote, right? So now not only are you trying to communicate a PowerPoint, you're trying mm. to communicate it through a Skype call or a, mm. a, 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 a video conferencing uh, platform that has no context. You know, I don't have the, the same uh, kind of person-to-person -person connection. Uh, it's me looking at you through a screen and then trying to also focus on, you know, the, the, the PowerPoint. People are distracted um, a lot of, at home, right? Like, you know, exactly. and cats and, you know, <laughs> people are getting served drinks in the background. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a brand new, brand new world of, of, of trying to be productive while, you know, dealing with uh, this layer of complexity of being completely remote. Um, but mm -hmm. we've been able to break down a lot of those barriers for people and give them a, a, a more human-centric connection. Uh, with easier visualization capabilities, right? So we can start to aggregate this information, takes a lot of the uh, kind of manual labor out of it uh, and makes it a much more interactive experience rather than just the, the same old, same old. Uh, mm. But it's very similar to what you were talking about, you know, you were doing uh, by walking around and trying to actually collect the information to build out mm. the charts to communicate in the PowerPoint. You know, that should be one step. And that's kind of what we've, we've been able to automate and, and, and start to deploy for our customers. But the interesting thing about that, if I think about it, it was more my, most of my time was spent either a convincing someone that I need to get this every month at this date or just project managing people or managing people's egos. A lot of my day was actually spent just doing that. Yeah. And that's not even that sort of like, um, well, it wasn't hard to do. It's just tedious and time consuming, right? So the actual value was in the um, implementation of the yep. report in terms of updating it, but then also um, just making it look more appealing. That's what I should have been spending most of my time on, but I wasn't. It was doing the basic stuff like following up Jeff, John, and Joey about why they hadn't provided me with the insights that they know every month that they're supposed to provide me with. Yep. And, and, and you'd be shocked at how many companies suffer a, a very similar uh, kind of a pain point when it comes to just the collection of, of, of information. You know, we've kind of coined this term data collaboration. When you're yeah. trying to, you know, get a, a, a report or, or say a spreadsheet from somebody to be able to insert that into your visualization tool, um, you know, really quickly, it might not be the most uh, updated information, right? As soon as it's yep. sent to somebody else, uh, yep. they could have augmented it. It could be out of date. There could be different numbers. Um, how do we unify that experience as well? Because then, you know, it takes another level of, 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 of kind of a, a failure point out of the uh, equation so that you can all be operating on the same information, looking at the same uh, data without having to chase people down. You know, it's populated because we're connected to that data source. Um, oh and that just leaves it, leaves it to a much easier querying capability of now we've, we've, we've kind of abstracted that to uh, a visual interface, right? Um, and, and that's really the exciting part about the technology is, you know, how much further can we push that so that you can get uh, information on demand rather than having to go and seek it from your data scientists or your analytics team. You know, this should be delivered to you on demand like the rest of the, the you know, the data that we're consuming as, as, as people right now. That's a very, very good point. And I wish that this was something that we had back then because it was a very frustrating <laughs> conversations that I had to go through. But let's dive into the psychology around the whole VR world. So, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so let's talk about VR headsets and the behavior around them at the moment. So 
when I was, you know, thinking about this interview, I was looking back at the start of like smartphones, right? Like Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. weren't used to carrying around a phone in their pocket. And so the alternative was to sit at home and hopefully call someone who was also at home, right? Which sounds like nowadays. So it's like, hopefully if I was calling you, I had to hope because I mean, there's no real way of communicating to you back then that you were also at home for me to have a phone call with you, which is mental, right? So the reason why I say that is because like now VR headsets, you know, are not that common, like not everyone has one. So do you believe like the same adaptability will be there when it comes to casually going to work and then just plugging your VR headset as, you know, the, the smartphone example that I used? That's a great question. I think the analogy is, is similar. I, 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 I spent a lot of time kind of thinking through, uh, you know, how to best communicate in my profession, the way that VR is going to evolve and, 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 and gain traction. Uh, but I think the, the comparison with the, the cell phone um, is, is uh, even, even I'd say, a little bit more rudimentary than trying to get people to understand kind of where VR is going to go. Uh, because if you look at the cell phone, we had computers as well, right? So 2D displays, and we can make the analogy of, hey, it's a computer in your pocket. Um, yep. VR doesn't get that benefit, right? It doesn't get the uh, analogy of it's something that you've already seen before, but in your pocket. This is a brand new yeah. paradigm shift of, of 3D spaces that we're trying to kind of teach people the behavior of. Um, and while, you know, kind of operating in 2D screens has been, the way that we've experienced information and, 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 and compute, uh, the psychological kind of part of, of immersing somebody in a full, you know, virtual environment is a steep one, right? It's a, it's a steep kind of barrier to entry because now we're, we're redefining, it's called, you know, virtual reality for a reason, mm-hmm. reality as we know it, right? Because now we're looking at things that we can be anywhere, be anyone, experience anything from a display. And it, it, it's a, a, a massive jump, especially generationally, uh, that people who aren't as familiar with maneuvering around three-dimensional uh, software or, or, you know, any sort of productivity tools. Um, the Gen Z, you know, I think they're going to be the ones to really pick this up and run with it because they've grown up with technology. Video games are three-dimensional. Uh, they've always kind of been at the benefit of, of having technology, you know, growing up. Um, but a lot of the older generations, you know, never grew up with three-dimensional video games or three-dimensional um, entertainment. It's always been very 2D and flat. Um, so the psychological uh, kind of obstacle of, of making that jump is, is a massive hurdle for a lot of people. Mm. Um, but hopefully, you know, as this becomes more and more uh, relevant for productivity and, and now that we're all remote, um, it's going to be a, a, a slower adoption, but it's going to happen. You know, that mm-hmm. and augmented reality are the two kind of uh, new new compute devices that I think are really going to transform the way that, you know, we understand information and, and interact with computers in, in, in more, much more of a human-centric way. So how would you guys – how are you ensuring adoption um, – um, is taking place in terms of the VR headsets only because Google Glass was kind of the future mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. like, wasn't, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of the say. <laughs> just wasn't, just that, didn't happen. No, it didn't. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I guess from a, 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 a enthusiast standpoint, right, I, I think uh, living in and and working in VR for you know quite some time, I'd say almost five five years now. 
Um, I'm familiar with the technology. I see the potential. I understand the benefit, but I don't wear a headset every day, even as, as an enthusiast or a consumer of it. Uh, and we're the beneficiaries uh, at 3Data of building our platform fully on the web. Uh, so if you ever have a, a, a kind of an instance where you want to get uh, more fidelity into something, uh, we always tell our users, hey, jump into a VR headset and, and look at things in, in, in 3D to try to understand any sort of anomalies or insights better or, or be more in, you know, engaged with the, uh, the information. But it, it's really important to look at things as kind of meeting the consumer or customer where they are. Uh, so we have a full, you know, kind of 2D interface that we give our customers as well so that they can interact with the people in 3D. Um, I think that bridge is what a lot of people aren't providing is how do you bridge people from, again, flat displays to now experiencing full three-dimensional uh, compute? It's, it's a brand new, new, new paradigm shift. And yeah. as much as I think, you know, again, I, I would love if everyone was adopting VR right now, it's going to take some time. It's going to take a, a brand new workforce to come in and, be more, uh, I'd say, tech, understand technology in, in, in a more immersive manner, uh, figuratively and, and literally. Uh, but it, it's, it's going to happen. You know, this is the way that, that technology typically goes. It takes uh, a couple of revisions before you get the, the ergonomically right fit for a lot of these headsets. We're putting, you know, computers on our face, essentially. That's what we're doing. Um, and it has to be something that people are willing to do and, and similar to the way that we put on glasses to augment our vision, Right. It, it, it has to be ergonomically feasible for people to want to adopt this. So uh, eventually it's going to happen as, as, as these headsets keep getting revised and, and augmented reality becomes more and more relevant, which is, again, holograms instead of putting you in virtual reality. Um, but it's, it's going to be a process. You know, I don't think we're going to see this massive adoption just because of COVID. I think it's just going to expedite people's appetite for, for mm. trying new headsets. No, you're absolutely right. And I guess what I'm hearing here is really the ability to synthesize like like data uh, so rapidly and hence sort of be able to sort of act faster from what, you know, you've discussed here today, um, which is def definitely the inevitable, right? Like mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. I, I've gone through my own personal experience and a loss of efficiencies. And I think if anything, if you're doing something different, like you have to be prepared for people to not understand you for a while. Um, mm -hmm. How long mm -hmm. is that while? I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not Nostradamus. Like, I, I don't know. Yep. Even, yep. I mean, I'm not even doing anything as hectic as what you guys are doing. And people, when I started this business, people were like, what are you doing? Um, yeah. And so I was like, no, I know this is the future. This is how we should be communicating in terms of the security world. Uh, I just, you know, had to wait for people to catch up. And when you are yeah. doing something so out there, um, you have to, you have to wait. So um, I agree with you. I also love um, a friend of mine down in Melbourne. Um, he has a virtual reality headset for PlayStation. Um, yeah. And I had like, I was, it was so like scary. And I had like the gun. <laughs> Admittedly, I got kind of tired because I was standing up for a while. Yeah, but it was yeah. so fun. It was actually the, the, the sort of the step in playing PlayStation and then sort of, you know, VR for work. So I get yeah. But I mean... Let's see yeah. when, the, when the others sort of uh, catch up. Exactly, so. exactly. And that's a great example, right, is taking that step from a gaming console where you're used to kind of playing in 3D to being inside of the game is, is a step that a lot of the gamers are willing to take, right? But when you talk about, you know, a lot of the data analytics people, we're talking about people who are using Excel, uh, right. Tableau is sometimes a stretch, right? Mm. And then now reinventing the way that they're looking at everything and it's it's a, it's, a, it's a jump right it's, it's scary, a, a jump right? that we know it's it's scary for a lot of people it's a, it's true but you know change is typically scary and 
that's where, where, where we're trying to figure out, you know, is this something where you're willing to uh, change behavior because it's hard? Uh, but VR makes it really easy because you see the benefit pretty quickly. Um, and that's really kind of the mantra that we've had to adopt is, you know, if you're willing to change virtual reality or augmented reality is great for you. If you're looking to uh, kind of stay the same and, 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 you know, utilize the tools that you're used to using, um, you know, that's always going to be an option. And, and we do have a 2D interface for you. But it's, it's really just about, you know, trying to be relevant in, in this new age of technology. You know, are you, are you willing to commit to being relevant because you'll become you know, irrelevant uh, pretty quickly without trying to adapt new technology and innovate? Now, I know that we sort of touched on this a little bit um, in terms of what you guys are doing in the security space, but sure. just, to sort of, just to sort of touch on what we've just been talking about a little deeper here would be, would you say in terms of the VR approach for SOCs, will that become like quite ubiqu- ubiquitous as we usher into a new way of operating? Yes, COVID's one thing, but just a lot of the examples that you've given today, um, yeah. like would you say that, you know, stock analysts, for example, that this is going to be their new environment. Like, this is what we're going to expect um, from, from your uh, like perspective. Like, w- what are your thoughts on that? That's a, a great question. And, you know, this is something that we've had to really think through as far as how is this going to impact uh, security operations centers for, you know, not only a, 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 a new way of, of, of securing uh, the operation and, and, and the workforce, uh, but then being able to distribute this now remotely because of the job gap of, you know, there's not enough analysts for all the security jobs that we need right now. Um, so can we also lower that barrier to entry? Uh, but I do believe VR will eventually become, you know, ubiquitous with SOCs uh, because it's just the increase in information that you're able to, to ingest and visualize, right? If you think about why SOCs were constructed, it's to visualize and correlate as much information as possible using 2D displays. Uh, but the problem is you're always going to be restricted to physical space. And that's always going to be a, a factor, right? Not only the cost of, of building these, these socks, but then trying to uh, add additional uh, bodies to the sock is, is expensive. Mm. So, yeah. with a, you know, with a fully kind of virtual environment, now, uh, you know, physical space is no longer a factor. Uh, you have infinite real estate to be able to customize and, and, and display as much information as, as you can uh, from a cognitive kind of ability. Uh, but the yeah, physical yeah, real yeah. estate and the cost, you know, barrier are, are the massive kind of problems for people even having a sock. You know, a lot of the SMPs can't even afford the sock. So now can we, you know, provide a, a, a much less, uh, kind of cheaper alternative uh, that could be arguably more productive for a remote workforce? Um, mm. it's, it's really a, a massive shift in the way that you know, people kind of think about security operations centers. It's all about how much money, how big it is, how many screens you have, what data feeds you have. You know, that's it's all very physical and, 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 and uh, material when it comes to uh, security operations centers. So we're really trying to shift that narrative to let's just build out a more productive virtual uh, collaboration space that allows you to have more monitors if that's what you're looking to do. Um, but then also connect all the information in a way that's a lot easier to understand. Uh, and you don't have to be a, a, a cybersecurity expert in order to see anomalies. It's just more of a cognitive ability rather than an analytical ability. Mm. Um, so that's really where things, again, start to get exciting for us from a, a security perspective is how do we start to represent you know, a lot of the information in a connected manner uh, intuitively so that anyone can see an anomaly. 
considering this is an executive podcast, when we talk about cost reduction, people's ears prick up a little bit quicker. <laughs> sure. Percentage-wise, just say you've got a traditional sock and then you've got your solution. How much, you know, this is ballpark, like this has to be exact, like how much in terms of percentage would, would companies be saving if they were to sort of go, okay, well, you know, it's costing us a lot of money to have all these people in this massive sock with all these screens and whatever else going in there. How much money percentage-wise would companies save to this uh, alternative solution? <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's another great question. And it's something that we've uh, kind of done cost estimates with the way that our customers are using the product today. Um, yeah. Depending on how big the sock is, how many people you have in, in the sock, you know, average price of the sock is anywhere from five to ten million bucks uh, for a lot of these large and enterprises. So just, and to, just to reiterate, that's USD, right? So that's USD, sorry, yeah. and, and, and well. USD, um, and that would be again for a, a pretty standard sock. You know, it gets more and more elaborate. Fifty million dollars is probably the biggest sock that we've worked with. Uh, but as, as far as that goes, we can provide, if they were to go fully virtual, a 90% reduction in, 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 in operational costs. Um, oh. and, that's, and that's where people start to get excited because now you're talking about a brand new budget, right? That's basically taking out all of your expenses uh, when it comes to security operations, which are mostly just people in overhead, you know? And it, it, right. it's, it's crazy to have to think about um, you know, being able to save people 30, 40 million dollars uh, just by moving completely to a, a virtual construct. Uh, but it's, it's, it's the reality of the situation. Change is, is, is hard, but it's, again, the benefit and the budget that you're able to win uh, if you're able to reduce overhead, you know, by orders of magnitude. So I guess when you're starting to talk those numbers, that's quite significant um, savings, right? So I guess that's probably going to start the conversation just right there like this is an executive podcast so all types of people not just CISOs listen but you know CEOs and you know even CFOs you get them really excited just talking about those numbers so I guess that's a it's a big driver um, and and like you said like it's overhead so it's not like they're eating into the budget in terms of capability it's more just like basic stuff that is not necessarily um, adding towards like the security capability it's just like screens and Exactly. And real estate. So real it's estate. Not, you're not taking anything away, so to speak. Exactly. We're and, and that's the way that we've kind of ushered it in with a lot of different stocks. We don't try to rip and replace. That's very painful for a lot of companies to know that you just spent, you know, fifty million dollars on a stock that no one's gonna use. Um, and it's it's kind of the reality of COVID. But when you start to think of it as an augmentation, right? You can you can emulate one to one all the data feeds from your SOC. And now add additional remote workers to increase the uh, visibility and, and, and the uh, remediation of any issues. Um, people start to be a lot more uh, open to, to uh, you know, this virtual sock, this virtual uh, construct. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we've kind of approached it from a, a narrative perspective. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, the goal is to be able to provide a, a much better and, and smarter way of collaborating when it comes to data and, 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 and security information. Now, I know that you guys in the U.S., you guys are a bit more progressive than us down here in Australia. Um, <laughs> so for what you're saying, do you think it scares people? Because, I mean, I speak to people all over the globe, but people are already trying to get their head above the water with current security problems, right? And now mm. you guys are like, oh, yeah, so we're just going to, like, introduce the <laughs> for software. Yeah. So 
what sort of mean the response? Because as soon as you start talking that, like people are already stressed out of their brain and now you're yeah. introducing another layer of com- complexity to, to their current situation, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and the word that keeps uh, coming up, right, is scary. It, it is a massive change. And every time there is a massive change, it's going to be scary. And somebody has to put their name behind it, right, and say, I want to change the way that we're doing things. And that's a scary thing to do, especially as a professional. And it takes somebody who, again, has that eye on the future and willing to uh, be the one who, who, who co-signs, you know, a new initiative uh, to be able to get drastic changes. When we talk about 90% reduction in, in, in you know, OPEX, um, it's, it's, it's going to take a drastic change to be able to do that. Those things don't happen incrementally, right? Um, so it's, it's been a, a, a process of trying to, you know, communicate a new endpoint, right, that you're adding to the network. Uh, that has, again, vulnerabilities if you really want to, to kind of look at it from a security standpoint. Um, but it's that commitment to staying you know, on the comp- competitive edge that's going to allow you to be ahead of your, your adversaries on the cyber battlefield. You know? And that's really the, the trade-off is you, are you willing to commit to something new and, and change in order to not only you know, have a competitive advantage on the cyber battlefield, but then drastically reduce costs. Um, and it's going to be a, a massive change for you. Um, it takes those thought leaders, the people who are futurists, the people who you know really want to be the ones to bring it into their organization and and, and be the hero. Uh, then they're able to adopt this technology quickly. And we've been very fortunate to work with those those sort of individuals uh, within these massive organizations. And I guess from your point of view, it's kind of finding that equilibrium, right? Like, yes, it's scary, but like, you know, if we don't adapt and change, like we're doing a disservice for what we're supposed exactly. to do, which is protecting yeah. stuff, right? So like eventually you're going to have to get past that point. And if you don't, you know, what's the what's the alternative? It's a, it's irrelevancy, right? You're going to become irrelevant very quickly doing the same things that you've always done. And the cyber battlefield is evolving every day. If you don't start to develop new strategies, new technology, new ways of, of incorporating either more individuals to help you uh, yep. or, or, or new ways of, of visualizing uh, information and, and, and understanding it uh, more interactively and, and intimately, um, you know, that's, that's got to be a decision that you have to make and understand the consequences of, of, of not doing that. Uh, so that's, you know, kind of position. We're not here to, to convince anyone on, on virtual or augmented reality. That's going to happen uh, on an individual basis. Uh, but it's really just finding that, that persona of, you know, someone who wants to be the, the, the leader of an organization and, and wants to usher in the future. Um, that's been, you know, the way that we've been able to have success uh, for our company. So who do you think is currently leading in that space? It really depends. You know, it really depends on the industry. Uh, there's a lot of, of, of very uh, innovative people from automotive and uh, energy that we've been working with. Um, they have been some of the easier uh, people to work with as far as how do we shake things up and, and, and start to implement new technology and uh, get full buy-in from the top. Um, but it's been mostly people in the automotive and energy space uh, who are who are mostly adopting, you know, this new technology and, and running with it. And the uh, the benefits that they're seeing are are, are massive. Um, the DoD again is is very committed to immersive uh, technologies here in the U.S. Um, it's been awesome to to be a part of that transition uh, with them. Uh, but it's been mostly those industries that I've been able to you know work with and and uh, been able to usher in the future. 
you know, speaking about people being scared, a lot of that generally comes from just constant education. So mm-hmm. how are you guys sort of at, at 3D helping shape the education around implementing VR for businesses and getting employees upskilled in the utilization of VR um, for their day-to-day tasks? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great question, and it's an ongoing effort, right? It's a lot of education around the technology itself, um, rather than trying to focus on our our productivity uh, tool and and the collaboration platform. Uh, we focus on you know what is it that you are trying to find value in, right? And then being very realistic about uh, what it's going to take to get there. You know, a lot of these uh, companies are still trying to figure out how to get to the cloud, right? And, and move their data and migrate their data to from an off-prem, you know, OCI or Oracle server to a hybrid cloud solution that, you know, they're looking to, to utilize. Um, it's, it's tough to, to find the right mix when it comes to the people who are really enthusiastic about VR but don't have the, the proper infrastructure to make that jump. There's a couple more steps that they need to make. Uh, before being able to use a, a cloud-based VR solution on their, their network. Um, but it's, it's been, you know, a lot of education around the technology itself. This is what we can do. This is what we can't do. We're using VR and AR technologies. But these are the benefits that we're able to, to measure very quickly as soon as you're able to adopt the technology. Um, so it's a very realistic and, and, and kind of an honest approach that we've taken with people. Uh, I think that eases people's uh, kind of... Uh, awareness when it comes to the the risks associated with uh, the technology. But being honest with people about what VR can do, it's not going to solve every one of your problems. It's not going to magically make your, your network uh, you know, impenetrable, uh, but it's going to right. give you a massive you know, massive increase in, in, in uh, ways that we can uh, not only optimize the, uh, the operational costs associated with the shock, uh, but now uh, start to look at the remote uh, assistant uh, perspective of you can start to hire people from anywhere in the world uh, to also protect you. Um, so it's, it's again, you know, an educational process. Uh, we're very honest with people about what this technology can do, uh, but the people who have committed see massive benefits very quickly. Um, re- really, really appreciate it. I think that uh, I like your, your thoughts at the end there about around, you know, people anywhere can help protect you. Um, no matter where they're based in the world. So I think that'll definitely create uh, more collaborative um, teams, remote teams. So um, uh, decentralized teams as well. I'm a big believer in that. So really appreciate it, Wallen. Um, You have absolutely killed the interview. Really, um, you made it very easy, very easy. You made it very easy on me. So thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. So my last question would be, if people have a question for you that I didn't ask you today, how can they go about getting in contact with you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. It's just my username is Wallen, W-A-L-L-O-N, with an underscore at the end. Uh, I'm, I'm an active Twitter uh, participant, uh, so feel free to just ping me on there. LinkedIn, Wallen Wallace, uh, go ahead and search me on there. Uh, or reach out to 3Data directly if you're looking to find out more about what we're doing. The website is 3Data. 3data.io uh, and happy to have conversations with anyone who's interested in again a, a virtual security operations solution or uh, more of a smart collaboration platform um, but those are the best ways to kind of reach me and again I love talking about this stuff and, and happy to, to, to talk with any thought leaders like yourself Carissa because um, I really enjoy this appreciate it thanks Wallen thanks so much Thanks for tuning in to KB Cast, the cybersecurity podcast for executives. 
We always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time.